Hey, grab a Bible and open it up to page 458. And I ask you to do that, even if you know the words of Psalm 23 by heart, because there are like half a dozen footnotes that are so cool. We're going to spend some time working through this verse by verse in just a moment. As you heard Karin say a few moments ago, summer's a great time for travel. Uh, Last week, my boys and I were camping up near Lake Dillon uh, from Monday to Thursday. And it was great until it wasn't. (laughs) Uh, Rained every day. Wednesday, our last full day, uh, rained from like noon until like 10 o'clock at night. And we were, as good as it is to be on the mountains, you know, if you're like me, you find yourself saying, we should get out there more. As good as it was to be there, it was really good to be home. You know, we've been in the mountains already. Last week, if you were here with us at our Father, with Elijah and Mount Carmel. Today we're in the valleys with our good shepherd, Jesus. The words of Psalm 23 that I hope you have open, again, it's page 458, are probably the most famous words in all of scripture. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, maybe these words are familiar to you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment. He uh, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Or, depending on your translation, he maketh me and he leadeth me. And you know, then uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadows, it's inevitable. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Could you say those words kind of along with me in your head? Maybe you could. You know, why are the words of Psalm 23 so popular? I mean, they're inspirational and sentimental. You might uh, find them on a Hallmark card like I did this week. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 4. You can get this on Amazon from three, for $3.79 which in itself is a steal given the price of greeting cards these days. Am I right? Uh, Right? But uh, if you order 50 or more, it's a dollar off. So, fun fact for you. $2.79, I believe that. And inspirational, sentimental, and very comforting. Psalm 23, for just the last 200 years, since about 1800, has been what's known as a death bed psalm. I've read it at funerals, gravesides. I've read it with some of you as your loved ones are breathing their last breaths. I'd argue that the words of Psalm 23 are far more than a hallmark Hard, far more than sentiment or inspiration when life is hard. David himself, as a shepherd, has a shepherd, and he is well acquainted with the images and the moments of poetry that we find here and the pictures. They're far more familiar to him than they are to us. So here's what I'd like to do over the next couple of minutes together to take a close look at the three places David takes us in this psalm. The pasture the valley, and the table. And along the way, we'll find something at each place. His presence, the pasture, his protection in the valley, 
and his provision at his table. And I'd like you to, to, to listen and just simply ask yourself for the next few minutes, which one of these three things do I need today? His presence, his protection, his provision. They're all over the psalm, but we're gonna find them in these three places. So first, to the pastor. Let's look at the first three verses. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There are a couple important things in this verse. Uh, the Lord that's in capital letters, we'll come back to that in a minute, but I shall not want is important too. When the, David is calling the Lord a shepherd, it's not necessarily a compliment because this is the ancient world where shepherds didn't have a high standing in society. In fact, they had a low one. But what is David doing here? He's echoing the past and reminding us and the people of Israel about the ways that God has led his people through the wilderness with his very presence. And he is anticipating the future, though he can't see it in full, of the day when God himself would become a shepherd for his people Israel, would take the form of a servant and lay his life down for his people. And when he says, this shepherd I shall not want, maybe this is obvious to you, but he says, I don't, he's not saying I don't want the shepherd. What he's saying is, therefore, if I've got the shepherd, and if I've got him, and, and if he's got me, I will not want, I will not lack any other thing. Because if I've got him, my glass is not half empty. My cup always overflows. Verse two, let's keep going. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, makes, key verb, we're gonna come back to that. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. You got a footnote there. It says, right path, because I'm prone to wander. And he does all of this for his name's sake. This is just who he is and what he does. Keep in mind here, though, in these beautiful places along the pasture that David is riding, and he's living in a place where there's not a lot of green pasture, and there's not a lot of still water. And yet David says, the Lord is my oasis in the desert of my life. He leads me beside still waters. See that? End of verse two, you got a footnote there. Beside waters, if you look down at the bottom, beside waters of rest. I think part of the reason that we love this psalm as Western Americans in the 21st century today is that our lives are so busy. Still waters of rest. I'm reading a book right now called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, I've been reading it for a couple months. I'm not actually in a hurry to finish it, ironically. <laughs> Here's what John Mark Comer describes as hurry sickness. A behavioral pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. That's Dallas Woodward he's quoting there. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. I 
So when David says, he leads me beside still waters of rest, he's not talking about simply slowing down or catching up on her sleep. He's talking about a certain kind of rest. A rest that only takes place in the presence of the shepherd. If you look back at the top of verse 1, again, you see the word Lord in capital letters. Not everywhere in the Old Testament, but often when we see the word Lord in the Old Testament, it's in capital letters because it's in Hebrew, the personal name of God, Yahweh. And Yahweh comes from the Hebrew verb that means to be, the essence of life. This is the name that God uses for himself when he makes Adam and Eve. He says, God did, God did. This is, but when he makes Adam and Eve, the Lord uh, this is the name that God uses for himself when Moses is talking to the Lord in the bush and he says, well, who should I tell them who sent me? And Moses says, tell them, I am. Yahweh has sent you. The Lord as a shepherd is no distant monarch or cosmic judge. When David says, I have an oasis in the desert of my life. He says, I am is with me. In a very personal way. He says, and in a, in a very intimate way, he says, I know that I am is with me. Yahweh is with me in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, for better or for worse. And that because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, not even death will ever part me from him. And I lack nothing, because when I'm with you, I've got everything I need. This is Yahweh's presence in the pasture. All in just three verses, but there's so much more. We've got to keep going to the Lord's protection in the valley. Verse 4. Even though, it's inevitable, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now notice here that it doesn't say the valley of death, it says the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe you got a footnote. It says valley of death is also in Hebrew the valley of deep darkness, right? Because if you're in a valley, if you're in a canyon, it gets dark long before the sun sets on the horizon above the canyon or the horizon above the valley, the sun sets and it gets dark and that's when the robbers and the enemies come out. Because to be a shepherd in this day meant to walk from pasture to pasture in open valleys, but you had to cross the mountains to get from one to the other. The valley of deep darkness that is inevitable for all of us. Uh, Donald Barnhouse, 100 years ago, 1930s, is a Presbyterian minister in the city of Philadelphia, and when his wife was in her 30s, she died of cancer and left him to raise their four children under the age of 12 by himself. 
And so on the day of her funeral, they're driving in a car together, and a large truck pulled past them, casting its shadow over the car from the left lane beside them. In a moment of clarity, David Barnhouse turns to his kids and he says, "Uh, would you rather be run over by the shadow of the truck or by the truck? And his 11-year-old answered, well, by the shadow, of course. And so as they're on their way to grieve the death of their mother in a whole new way at her funeral, he turns to his children and he says, well, I want you to know that that's what's happened to your mom. That it was the shadow of death that hit her. Because death hit Jesus for her. And if you are a Christian, the same is true for you because Jesus is risen. That means you rise too. And that means death is not your friend. It is your enemy, but it is a defeated enemy. And because you belong to him, only the shadow of death will ever hit you because death hit Jesus in a way that it will never hit you when he gave his life for you on the cross. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me, your presence. And the pasture when life is good and in the valley when it is not. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now these images are a little bit lost on us today. Uh, Staff, of course, well, uh, if you've ever been to a children's Christmas program, you're familiar with the crooked shape of a shepherd's staff with a hook at the end curved to fit around the body of a sheep caught in danger to bring them close. The rod was a club about two feet long, made of a hard wood, often of oak, with hard bits of metal pounded into it. And so the rod and the staff are not bad news, but they're good news for David, because if the Lord is shepherd, and if that makes David his sheep, David's saying, when I wander, because I do, and when I'm stuck, and when I'm in trouble, you pull me close to you. And therefore, I will fear no evil. I will fear no shadow. And I will fear no enemy. Why? Because you are with me. And you are not just with me. Again, remember from a moment ago, not just in a general way, not in a vague spiritual way, but in a personal way. And you protect me. Protection in the valley and provision at his table. Verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. All right. If you've been here for a while at our Father, it's not news to you, it's not lost on you that that a table prepared in the presence of one's enemies in the ancient world was a victory celebration that the victorious army would set up a feast in the court of the conquered king and eat his food and drink his wine as a way of saying, we won, not you, nana-nana, (laughs) boo-boo. You laugh? Remember that the next time you come up here for communion. 
You anoint my head with oil. Seems a bit random to us today, but not if you're a shepherd. Here's what Chuck Swindoll says about that in a book called Living the Psalms. Let me just read an excerpt, about a paragraph long to you. It says, A shepherd who comes to a new field where he plans to graze his flock doesn't just turn them loose, he inspects the field for vipers first. Small brown adders that live underground. They frequently pop up out of their tiny holes and nip the sheep on their noses. The bite from these natural enemies sometimes causes an inflammation that can, on occasion, kill the stricken sheep. So knowing this danger, the shepherd restrains his sheep from the new field, which may be infested, until he can inspect it. He walks up and down looking for the small holes, and upon finding these holes, he takes a bottle of thick oil, Then raking down the long grass with his staff, he pours a circle of oil on the top of each viper's hole. Before he leads the sheep into the new green field, he also spreads the oil over each sheep's head, and in that sense, he anoints them, rubbing their heads with his oil. When the vipers beneath the surface sense the presence of the sheep and attempt to attack from their holes, they are unable to do so. Their smooth bodies cannot pass over the slippery oil because the They become prisoners inside their own holes. The oil on the sheep's head also acts as a repellent so that if a viper does manage to come near, the smell drives the serpent away. Therefore, in a very literal sense, by oiling the viper's burrows and by anointing the head of his sheep, the shepherd has prepared the table, the meadow, And the sheep are able to graze in abundance right in the enemy's presence. I had no idea. All right, so put these two things together. A table in the presence of our enemies, you anoint my head with oil. What's the result? A plus B equals C. My cup overflows so my kids are nine and five and when I'm pouring milk at the dinner table for the two of them and one of them asks me for more as their dad what's my first response how about how about this how about you drink what you have and then if you're still thirsty later and you'd like some more then I'll add some to your cup Why do I say that? In part, because I don't want the milk to go to waste and I'm a little cheap, okay, admittedly. But also because I don't want them to drink so much milk that their stomachs are full and they don't have any room for dinner. All right, that's me on a human level. What do we find here in Psalm 23? Not a portion. And not a partial amount my cup overflows. Extravagant, even wasteful perhaps, because when God provides, he always has more to give. And so David says, my cup overflows. He steps back from everything that he said in the psalm so far, and he says, I have everything I need. I have your presence. I have your protection. I have your provision. Therefore, verse 6 brings us home. Let's look there. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now the verb at the top of verse 6, the verb follows in English is the word radaf in Hebrew, and radaf means to pursue, to passionately chase down in order to secure. David says, your goodness Radoffs me. Your goodness chases me down. And your goodness is far more than fixing my life or increasing my comfort. Your goodness is your shalom, your presence. And where you are and where I am, as we are together, I have everything you, I need your protection and your presence and your provision. Your goodness follows me and your mercy redoffs me. It chases me down because I'm prone to wander. So are you. I mean, you think you can live life your way to find happiness in other pastures outside his good design for your life always leaves you hungry every time. And when the voice of another shepherd calls your name, the sound of your idols and your slave masters promising you something better, it always leaves you thirsty. And when your own heart is weighed down by the choices you, could, you would change if you could, but you can't. You have a good shepherd who leaves the 99 and who puts himself in harm's way, who is crucified between thieves and robbers and lays his life down for you. He lays it down, the scriptures tell us, only to pick it up again. Why does he do that? Because he loves you, sure, but what is the result for you? Because he loves you and pursues you with his goodness and his mercy. David says, so that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, but that's not just what he says. If you look at the footnote, it says that I may return to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why is that important? Because you have a place that you lost where you belong that you'll have one day when he returns. A garden, Eden, where you were meant to grace. There's a place that you were made for. And there are arms that you were made for. The one to whom you belong. Yahweh, your good shepherd. And you have his presence in the pasture when life is good, and you have his protection in the valley when it's not, and you have his provision at his table now and forever. Amen.